Hello and welcome to the Tevanaram Buddhist Monastery. Today we meet with the 14th episode of this series of Dhamma Talks titled Buddha's Guide to Happiness. As the name says, the sole purpose of this program is to bring you some choices which we believe must be available to all sentient beings whose life ambition it is to achieve satisfaction, fulfillment and ultimately happiness. Day in, day out, we see living around us innocent people who go to great lengths to achieve a fulfilling life. They go through, they toil many decades of their hard-earned life to achieve something substantial to achieve something they can be proud of. Something when the inevitable end comes to them, they can look back and be happy with and claim that the last years of my life or even this duration of time in which I have lived on this earth has been absolutely worthwhile because in that period of time I have been able to achieve something that I didn't have when I first came here. But unfortunately today this is very uncommon because it is true and I believe you will agree with me that most people leave this world the same way they came in. And by that I mean in the same state of mind. I'm not talking about their level of education. I'm not talking about their intelligence. I'm not talking about any skills that they might have developed throughout their life. But I'm talking about their level of happiness. For most people, they come into this world crying and they leave this world crying. So, when we see this rife among us, we feel it is our duty as disciples of the Lord Buddha who have so fortunately received guidance and instruction from him and his students ever since how to achieve a state of happiness a state of fulfillment and satisfaction that transcends all other states of temporary happiness and one where when that last day comes we can look back at our lives 
And no matter what others around us say, we can be content that this life has been worthwhile. Now this might sound like a tall order because very few and far between are those people who are truly, sincerely able to make such a claim and it is very fair if you challenge this claim with words such as Bhante. How can you make such a claim? What evidence have you that such a state of mind is even possible? My answer to that is, all will come clear. As good students, we all must follow, practice diligently the path that we are on with conviction. There is nothing here we need to do through blind faith. That was something that I promised you right from the first episode of this program. Nothing in this program, nothing in these talks will I present to you and expect you to believe through blind faith. I have from the beginning invited you to question Internally have a dialogue with yourself, take these lessons into the lab of life, apply them and see whether they stand the true test. And I hope if you have been doing that, you will have thus far not come across any principle that you may have learnt or picked up in these talks which you found unverifiable through experience from your own life. So the remainder of this journey should be judged on the same grounds. This is why I say all will come clear to those who practice and follow this instruction diligently. I, for one, do the same because I have learned what I share with you from my teachers and I have been able to achieve. To at least some extent, the rewards of following this path, the same path that I share with you today. So yet again, I invite you to take one step at a time, once again, nothing through blind faith, test this, analyze it, apply it, verify it, and allow it to come true for you. So on that journey, today we are prepared to take another step forward, and before we do so, let us take a moment to pay homage. To that first teacher in this lineage of teachers who discovered this path and that is the supremely enlightened one, the perfect one, the magnificent one, the omniscient one, the infinitely compassionate one, that is none other than the Supreme Buddha. So please join me in paying homage to the Lord Buddha.
नमो तस्स भगवतो अरहतो सम्मा संबुद्धस्स नमो तस्स भगवतो अरहतो सम्मा संबुद्धस्स नमो तस्स भगवतो अरहतो सम्मा संबुद्धस्स now let us take a quick whistle stop tour of our journey so far it is important from time to time that we do this to ensure that we are on the right track throughout this series of talks i have attempted to lay down a path which listeners of this series can follow right from the beginning to the ultimate end it is no easy task i must confess and i cannot say i am an expert in that either but the only expertise that i have is the knowledge and experience that i have done the same so whatever i share with you is the path that i followed to come this far so where did we start we started with why buddhism what's the deal why is it that we need to even be vaguely interested in this why yet another philosophy teaching religion so that's where we started and there we reminded ourselves that there are people all around this world who get up to all sorts of weird and wonderful things all in the name of happiness all striving to achieve a satisfaction but yet none have succeeded well at least most haven't succeeded and therefore we see a problem there a problem which must be addressed so if what we want to achieve from our lives cannot be achieved from the knowledge that we have with us already then it is high time that we try out something else and it is to address that gap to address that void to address that need we learn and concern ourselves with this series of talks then we went on to understand what it is that buddhism entails what is buddhism all about on the contrary to common misconception i propose to you that buddhism is not about letting go most people think that buddhism is about letting go i propose to you that buddhism is not about letting go but rather it is about realization if something is valuable to you if something is really important to you if you feel something is the source of your happiness then i fail to see how it would be even possible to consider letting that go so for as long as 
someone believes that absolutely anything, be that a flower, a painting, a car, a precious item of jewelry, absolutely anything, is the source of their happiness, that their happiness depends on their being that particular object, on their being that particular event or happening or occurrence, then for as long as that is something they hold true, I don't expect for anyone to let go of that. Why would they? Ask yourself this question right now. Imagine you haven't listened to any of these talks or take yourself back to when you first started to listen to these talks several weeks ago and if you were unfamiliar with some of the principles that I have shared with you throughout these talks if I had asked you what are some of the things that make you happy you'd have had no problem giving me a long list of things and in there you would have had people such as family, friends, loved ones, acquaintances, colleagues even. You might have had places that you'd like to go, places you'd like to visit, countries, cities, picturesque villages, bird-watching, activities, canoeing, rock-climbing, Abseiling, sport, games, music, theatre, art, and so on. There would have been a long list of things which you would have put forward as things that make you happy. Am I right? It is obvious. Now, when you strongly hold the belief that it is those things that make you happy, on what grounds would you be willing to let go of them? To see them taken away from your life? To see them fall apart? To see them fall into a state of disrepair? To see them crumble down and be destroyed? Who'd have the heart to watch something like that happen to them. See? It's pretty obvious. Buddhism cannot be about letting go. Because that would only cause you pain, suffering, even more suffering, than perhaps the suffering that it would bring you while it's in your presence. Take, for instance, a mother and her child. Well, we must admit that a mother who has a child is not always a happy mother. There are times in her life when her child would make her unhappy, make her cry even, or make her angry. You can't say any mother adores that. You can't say those are the peaks of her joyful time as a mother. No. But, nonetheless, if you would attempt to take her child away from her, then 
that would cause a disaster. She would not be very happy. She would not allow you to do that. No mother would. And if you ask her why that would be, she'd say, well, that's because my child makes me happy. My happiness depends on my child being with me. So you see, to try and attempt to convince this mother that she should let go of her child is pointless. For as long as she believes that her happiness is the result of her child being with her. Take another example. Let's say someone likes watching football. Cricket, tennis, badminton, soccer, whatever the case might be. There are some people who spend most of their life watching sport. That is their favorite pastime. In fact, for some of them, that is their full time. Now, to get them to stop doing that, let's say, for instance, a mother who is attempting to get her child who is glued to his TV away from it and to get him to do something more worthwhile may come across a problem like this. No matter how much you try and convince him, it's virtually impossible to take his mind off the TV. Because that is what he enjoys. It is his passion. So to try and convince him that he should stop watching TV when he firmly believes, and this is not simply a fantasy, he firmly believes that watching TV or the sport that he enjoys on TV is the source of his happiness. It is virtually impossible for a mother, a parent, to get their child away from the TV. To try and do that would only cause heartache and various problems. So yet again, I would not be so keen to speak to a child or even on the invitation of a parent to speak to a child and propose to them to stop watching TV and go and do something more interesting or something more worthwhile with their lives. That would not be a very useful or productive approach from my perspective. Rather, I will talk to them about their favorite pastime. I will ask them to share with me details. I will ask them to question their own belief that it is watching TV or the sport that makes them happy. I will continue to ask them questions. I will get them to question themselves. And hopefully, at the end of that, they will come to realize that the belief that they held, that is, watching TV or watching football, soccer, cricket, whatever, the belief that it was that which brought them happiness is flawed. 
Once they understand this, I no longer need to invite them or manipulate them or encourage them or any other attempt of that nature to get them away from the TV set. Once they have realized that happens automatically, they will do it themselves. And that is the way of Buddhist philosophy. So, that is why I said, Buddhism is not about letting go. Rather, it is about realization. And you see, there is nothing lost when you open your mind to realization. There is nothing you need to fear. For instance, let's say you are someone like that. Let's say you have a habit. Let's say you have an addiction. Let's say you simply can't stop or break free from something that you have been doing habitually over a period of time. Now again, this is a good moment for you to ask yourselves what that might be. Even as you listen to these talks, you can apply the principles that I share with you on the fly. So think of something like that. Now, it may be that you want to break free from it, whatever that habit might be. It may be that you want to break free from that addiction, be that binge drinking or binge watching TV or binge eating. Whatever that might be. Smoking, drugs, alcohol. Right from the more common ones like that to the more uncommon things such as addicted to sightseeing, watching things, smelling, tasting, experiencing, the lot. All of these things are addictions when you consider it. The further you go, the further you analyze, the further you examine this, you begin to realize, actually, all of us are addicted to these five things. Sight, sound, smell, taste and touch. Various combinations of them we refer to, such as watching TV, cheesecake, pizza, watching movies, playing sport, and so on. Because you can distill all of them down to sight, sound, smell, taste, and touch. So really, our addictions are to those five things. Because these are the only things that our sense organs can ultimately receive from the outside world and feed our minds. So in any case, think about any such example and if you want to break free from it, you may have tried various numerous things, numerous practices to try and break free from them. But perhaps the one thing you may not have tried thus far 
is the approach that I have tried to share with you throughout these talks. And, I, and we will continue to talk about these things. That is, to realize. So, for instance, if you are glued to your TV set and you want to break that habit, my suggestion to you is not to try and switch off the TV forcefully. I'm not saying that's wrong. I'm not saying you mustn't do that. But what I'm suggesting is an alternative. Instead of forcing yourself to not watch TV, my suggestion is to ask yourself why it is you watch TV so much. If, for instance, you want to break free from the habit of smoking, perhaps you have an addiction to that. It may be that you have tried all sorts of things. Joining a support group, maybe trying to think about something else when the urge arises, dissociating yourself from other smokers and so on. And while all of them are helpful, perhaps the one thing you may not have considered, perhaps, is asking yourself, why is it that you smoke? If again, for instance, you want to break free from the addiction to, let's say, spending time on Facebook, on YouTube, social media, you may have tried and attempted several things to break free from that habit. But perhaps the one thing you didn't do is ask yourself why you do it in the first place. Thus I, I say, if ever you'd come to me with something like that, I'm not going to suggest to you switch that off immediately or become austere. Spend the life of an ascetic. Switch off your phone and give it to somebody else. Put it in a cupboard and lock it and throw the key into a well or something. I wouldn't suggest that. Instead, what I would suggest is ask yourself the question, why is it you do it? Because ultimately your answer is going to be, it's because it makes me happy. For as long as you hold that belief that whatever you do makes you happy, it would be virtually impossible to break free from that. You can try and trick yourself, but it wouldn't last long, most of the time at least. So I think a more lasting approach is to ask yourself the question, why do you do it? And once you continue to ask yourself these questions, once you continue to analyze why you do the things you do as per the methods that I have shared and con will continue to share with you through these talks, you will begin to realize that the happiness that you sought from such activities does not exist in them. 
So therefore, engaging in that activity, indulging in that sight, sound, smell, taste or touch is not truly that which gives you the happiness that you experience. But instead, you will begin to understand that it is simply pleasure that you achieve through relief from vexation. And that is where we continued our conversation. So as of late, we have been discussing the difference between pleasure and happiness. We want to achieve happiness, which is unconditional, which does not depend on external factors, which cannot be taken away from us by any force of nature, by any person or any divine entity. That is the happiness that I'm sure you'd like to achieve. A happiness that transcends any other kind of conditional happiness. But now we understand that the happiness that we experienced by engaging ourselves in the multitude of things that we have throughout our lives did not truly give us happiness. So instead we use a different word for that now, don't we? What is that? Indeed, pleasure. So now we see a distinction between happiness and pleasure. Where happiness is unconditional, pleasure is relief from vexation. In other words, it is conditional. So, for you to experience pleasure, you must have vexed yourself prior to that. It is only the relief from vexation that brings you pleasure. And we used various examples to understand this principle. If you can't remember many of them, I will share another one with you just now. Think about when you have a rash on your skin somewhere. Let's say on your arm. What do you do when you have a rash? Well, the obvious, isn't it? Feels itchy. So what do you do? You scratch. Why? Because it makes you feel good. Doesn't it? That experience, this joy, this, within air quotes, happiness that you feel when you scratch yourself, is that truly happiness? Or is it pleasure? Would you like to continue to experience that happiness throughout your life? Well, if the answer to that is yes, now we have a problem. Because you can only enjoy that pleasure for as long as you have a rash on your arm. Isn't that right? If you want to continue to experience that pleasure, you'll have to opt to keep your rash. But do you do that normally? Why do they have skin doctors then? 
Why do you go to your doctor and say and complain to your doctor about this rash on your body? And why do you ask for medication? Why do you apply creams and ointments to cure it? If that pleasure is truly worthwhile, you mustn't really be concerned about the rash, should you? You should want to keep it, shouldn't you? Because to enjoy that experience, to enjoy that feeling, that sensation, which you do when you scratch yourself, well, for that, you must keep your rash. You must ensure that the rash does not heal itself. Isn't that what you'd want to do? So, you know, if when you scratch yourself, the rash on your body, I mean, it feels good, then would it not make sense to have a rash all over your body? Because if you had a rash all over your body, then you can just spend time scratching yourself all day long, and that would make you feel really good, wouldn't it? But do you do that? Of course not. Who in their sane mind would want that? Instead, what do you do? Instead, you go to your doctor. You get some treatment. You get some medicines and treat it to get rid of the rash. But now, when you get rid of the rash, you can no longer scratch yourself because there's no need to scratch a rash that does not exist. But now that you have treated your rash, you can't scratch and therefore you don't experience the pleasure that you once did when you scratched it. Don't you agree with me on this? Of course you do. So what do you opt for? Keep the rash and keep scratching it just so I can experience the pleasure? Or do you treat it and get rid of it? But in doing so, you are no longer able to scratch it and experience the pleasure that you once did from scratching it. What do you opt for? The answer is pretty obvious. No one in their sane mind would want to keep the rash and keep scratching it. That would be nonsensical. Now you see, pleasure is relief from vexation. The same concept applies even in the mental realm. I gave you an example in the physical realm, something that concerns your body, but the same concept applies mentally. The pleasure that you feel from experiencing sight, sound, smell, taste, touch, experiencing events, associating people, doing things, going places, trying out stuff, all these things. If you experience any pleasure, that pleasure is relief from vexation. It's like a rash. When you scratch it, you feel good. But no one in their sane mind would want to keep that rash so that they can keep on scratching it. Instead, what you'd prefer to do is treat that rash and get rid of it once and for all. Good riddance, you might say. Why wouldn't you want to do the same where the mind is concerned? I'll take another example. Because I think this example probably is one you can relate to pretty well. The rash one and also this one. Think about 
when you might have had a terrible headache. When you have a headache, of course, it's very painful. Some headaches can be tormentous. What do you do? When you have a headache, you take some medicine, right? Let's say some paracetamol. When you take some paracetamol, that fixes you. It cures your headache. And when you take that medicine, and once the drug has done its job, you feel better. And you say, oh, I feel so good. I'm so glad that I was able to achieve, that I was able to relieve myself from that pain. That's why they call pain relief tablets or pain relief medication. Now that makes you feel good, doesn't it? But you see, the problem is that feeling of goodness or that sensation, that pleasure can only be experienced by treating a headache. In other words, you need to have the pain to then relieve from it and then experience the pleasure. Now, would you like another headache? You say, no, I don't want a headache. But what about the pleasure that you experience when you are healed? Yes, that I like, but you can't have that without this. They come in a pair. But no one in their sane mind would be interested in that sort of pleasure. See, this makes sense when you think about it physically, but when, it go, when we start talking about it in the mental realm, people fail to see the trick. Let's take another example. Hunger. When you're hungry, you want to eat something so you can sate your hunger. Right? And when someone's really hungry, it doesn't really matter what you give them to eat. If you're terribly hungry, you'll eat absolutely anything. Because matters not what you eat, the problem at hand is the hunger. Now, does it not feel good when you eat something and it takes away that hungry sensation, the pain that you feel from an empty stomach? Is that not a good feeling? Of course it is. That's why when you're hungry, you go looking for something to eat. And if you can't find anything, you might even go and beg. Please, I'm hungry. Please give me something to eat. I'm so hungry. That's because you want to be relieved from that pain. Now, when you are relieved from that pain, that is an experience that you like. And that is an experience of pleasure. But, here's the problem. To have that pleasure, you have to have had hunger. Right? If there's no pain, then there's no gain. No pain, no gain. You will have heard this no pain, no gain saying before, but perhaps today you see it in a very different light.
You may have heard it in the spirit of hard work, activity, right? It may be something that is used to encourage young people to work hard and aim for the stars. As they say, adastra paradua in Latin. To reach for the stars, you have to work hard. It is arduous to reach for the stars. No pain, no gain. Without the pain, you're not going to achieve the gain. But think about it from this perspective. I'm giving you a new lens from which to look at this. Hunger, do you want it? No. But the relief you experience from eating something and relieving yourself of hunger, is that not a good feeling? That is most certainly a good feeling. But to have that gain, you must have had the pain of hunger. Can you have one and not the other? It doesn't work like that. But wouldn't you rather not have hunger? Yes, but then you wouldn't have the relief from the pain of hunger. But here's the thing you need to understand. That is not true happiness. It is pleasure. It is relief from vexation that you experience. If you could measure vexation in units, if there was some kind of unit that was available to measure pain or vexation, you could measure this change in vexation from, let's say there were some units, 10 something, 10 vex, okay, 10 Vs for instance. No, not V for voltage, but let's say V for vexation. From 10 Vs to 5 Vs. Right? So you had, an, you had a hunger which gave you a vexation, a pain of 10 Vs. And now when you eat, when you fill your stomach with something, that comes down, that reduces to 5 Vs. What is the change? What is the difference? There's a difference of 5 Vs. And that reduction is what you experience as pleasure. It is the reduction of pain, of vexation, that you experience as pleasure. So pleasure is not something that you can experience or gain outside of vexation. Vexation has to exist Pain has to exist for pleasure to exist. That is why it is conditional. But who in their sane mind would ask for pain? You wouldn't, would you? But you ask for pleasure. I can give you pleasure, but I have to give you pain first. Would you like that? <laughs> no. This is why pleasure is overrated. It's not what you thought it was. Pleasure is not the real deal. It's a fake. Yes, you experience pleasure. There's no doubt about that. But it is not what it, it's claimed to be. It's fake. It's fake because it is simply the reduction of vexation. Simply the reduction of pain. From a higher level of pain to a lower level of pain. You're still in pain. The amount by which it was reduced is what you experienced as pleasure. I'll give you another example. Let's say 
Now, this may be more common in some cultures than perhaps others. Let's say you, in your childhood, you did something naughty, right? And maybe, let's say, your father perhaps gave you a beating for having done something mischievous. Now, good old mother, what she'd do is she may come up to you, pull you close and caress you and ask you, where, where did he hit you? Where did, where did your father hit you? Ah, oh, it's all right, darling. Don't worry about it. Here, let me pat you there. Uh, and then she makes you feel better. So when she caresses you, especially where you've been hurt or where you've been hit, now that makes you feel good. But to have, to experience that pleasure, you have to have had the beating. Who'd want that? Would you? Of course not. Take another example. I'm sure most of you will be able to relate to this. Do you remember the time when you perhaps went on an outing or perhaps went shopping or went out and you spent a whole whole day out there, out and about, hot day, busy day, right? But you couldn't find anything to drink. And then let's say you got home or you went to a restaurant and you ordered some drinks or you got home, opened the fridge and now in your hands you hold a bottle of water. When you drink that water, how does that make you feel? Makes you feel incredibly good, doesn't it? Think about it. The whole day out, tired, or maybe you've gone for a, you went for a run. And now, or maybe it was a workout. And now you've got some water. When you drink that water, if you are so thirsty, you could probably gulp down the whole bottle. Because that water feels so good, doesn't it? But does water feel so good? Really? So how come other times when you are not feeling so thirsty, you drink the same water from the same tap, from the same bottle, from the same well, whatever, from the same spring? It doesn't make you feel that good. You experience a difference in the pleasure. The same water, but different levels of pleasure. Why was that? Was it the water that brought you pleasure? No. It is relief from pain, relief from vexation. The level of your thirst determines the level of your pleasure when you are relieved from that thirst. So you see, there's a direct correlation between pain and pleasure. You have to have pain for you to have pleasure. Who would want that pleasure? Are you up for that? Are you game? Do you want that kind of pleasure? Pleasure that can only be experienced from relief from pain? You know, it's not something that is substantial. It is simply the reduction of pain. The amount by which you are relieved from pain, that is the amount 
of pleasure you experience. So the more thirsty you are, the more you feel better, the more you feel good when you are relieved from that thirst. If you are not that thirsty, then the pleasure that you experience from relieving yourself of thirst is going to be lesser. The pleasure that you would achieve, the pleasure that you would experience when you relieve yourself from thirst is directly proportional to the amount of pain or the thirst that you had before you started to drink the water. So you see, pleasure is simply relief from vexation, relief from pain. This and many more examples I can provide to you, but I want you to dig deep into the limitless experiences that you have in your life and prove to yourselves that this pleasure that you experience, that you have experienced throughout your life is simply relief from vexation. It is simply relief from pain. No pain, no gain. The amount of pain determines the amount of gain. And again I remind you, I use this expression in a different context to which it is normally used out in the world, where it is used to encourage people to work hard, to strive and to apply themselves to achieving great riches, wealth and fortune. I use it in a different context, and I hope you understand that. Because it is very fitting to describe the situation that goes on here. Wherever you have experienced pleasure in your life, it has always been due to the relief from vexation. I'll give you yet another example. In countries where they have winter season, where it snows and it goes to minus degrees Celsius, people use heaters to keep themselves warm. In some other countries where it's generally hot, you have air conditioners to keep yourself cool. Now, on a hot day, standing under the breeze of an air conditioner makes you feel what? Makes you feel really good. On a cold day, sitting next to a warm heater makes you feel what? Makes you feel really good. So, is it the heater or the air conditioner that makes one feel good? So you see, you can't answer that question like that. If it's the heater that makes people feel good, then why do people have air conditioners? Every household in every country on this earth should only have a heater. If it's a heater or if it's heat that makes people feel good. Whereas if it's the cool breeze that makes people feel good, then we shouldn't have heaters anywhere. The cool breeze of an air conditioner should be what everyone 
has in their household. But no, this is not true. So one moves closer to the aircon, the other moves closer to a heater, and they say, oh, that makes me feel so good. What's happening? In both situations, they are experiencing pleasure. How is it that they are experiencing pleasure? In both cases, it is the relief from pain that brings them pleasure. What is the pain in either situation? The person sat next to a heater, for them, pain is the cold. Perhaps, they, perhaps it's snowing outside and it's a cold winter. The winter freeze is giving them chills, it's, giving, it's, it's very painful. So they cuddle up to a warm heater. Whereas on the other hand, it's a hot day, scorching sun. High temperatures. Now you look for a cold breeze from an aircon. Different things brought you pain. Therefore, the opposite of that brings you pleasure. In other words, where there is no pain, there is no pleasure. Pleasure is simply the relief from pain. Pleasure is simply the relief from vexation. Now the same concept applies in the mind. Mental pleasure is achieved from relief from mental pain. This mental pain we refer to as vexation. In last week's talk, I introduced you the concept of cause and effect, the basic principle. And towards the end of that talk, I asked the question, so what? What is the deal with us exploring the principle of cause and effect? And I propose to you that the reason that we're interested in cause and effect is anything that is an effect must be based in causes, must be causal. And if we can find out the causes which give rise to vexation, which give rise to pain, which give rise to suffering, then we can take out just one cause and that will take out that suffering, that pain, that vexation. Now, what that will also do is it will take away pleasure. Does that make you feel sad? Does that make you feel disappointed? Oh, but that takes away pleasure as well, so why should I give up pain? Aha! That's why I wanted to share this with you today. Before we start to dig deeper, and find out the causes of vexation and then start taking it out one at a time, you must understand that when vexation goes away, pleasure goes away along with it. If you do not understand that pleasure is fake, that pleasure is simply the reduction of pain, you wouldn't want for pain to go away. You'd want to keep pain. You'd want to retain the suffering. And that wouldn't be very wise. Because true happiness is not the same as pleasure. It is not relief from pain, but instead it is there being no pain in the first place. 
That is what true happiness is. It's like if you have a toothache, you go to the dentist, he does his work and then he relieves you of that pain. How does that make you feel? Oh, so good. If you have a bad tooth and your, and your dentist pulls it out somehow, right? that makes you feel good. You no longer have to suffer. But would you rather that or would you rather you didn't have a bad tooth in the first place? Now you have to ask this question of yourself because now what I have just proposed to you is something you have to understand through wisdom. There is a logic behind it, but it is through wisdom you have to understand this. If you don't understand this principle, this concept, it would be virtually impossible for us to proceed from this point forward. Because it would be pointless for me to invite you to explore the causes of vexation and then take out one of them if you are addicted to pleasure and you don't see the truth behind pleasure. It's okay if you like pleasure. It's okay if you enjoy pleasure. It's okay that you want to experience pleasure. But first of all, you need to understand that pleasure is not what it seems to be. It's fake. It's not true. Pleasure exists, but it's not true. It's not what it seems to be. It's simply the relief from pain. It's simply relief from vexation. The amount by which you were relieved of pain is what you experienced as pleasure. Nothing substantial. There's no substance in it. There's no essence in it. I'm going to leave you with that because I think there's plenty of food for thought there. And I invite you to, if you have the time, listen to this talk once again and make sure that you have fully understood what I have presented to you today about pleasure. It is your understanding of pleasure that will henceforth help you to fall out of love with pleasure so that you can then continue to take out the pain, the vexation, the suffering that was there in the first place from which you were relieved to experience that pleasure. Leaving you with that, let us conclude today's talk by transferring the merits that we have all acquired to all those who have helped us come this far. First and foremost, let us take a moment to transfer the merits we have all acquired by making offerings to the infinite virtues of the Noble Triple Gem, chanting Pirit, listening to the Dhamma and engaging in various meritorious deeds today. Let us remind ourselves how incredibly fortunate we are to be in receipt of the Lord Buddha's teaching and with immense gratitude let us transfer these merits to the bhikkhus and bhikkhunis, upasakas and upasikas, who since time immemorial have protected and preserved the sublime teachings of the Buddha and passed it down through the generations of the noble lineage in the form of the Tripitaka, which is thankfully available to us today to study, understand and comprehend the Dhamma. Let us also transfer the merits we have acquired to all members of the Mahasangha present throughout the world including the chief prelates of all the chapters who have dedicated their lives to the noble path and have committed themselves to the betterment of all sentient beings. Let us not forget that among them are the monks and nuns resident in your local temples and nunneries who have always been by your side through thick and thin, come rain or shine. 
Let us also transfer these merits to our teachers and all other monks resident at this monastery, as well as all the Anagarikas and Anagarikas attached to the monastery. Let us also take a moment to transfer these merits and express our gratitude to those who make great efforts to disseminate the teachings of the Buddha, be that by transliterating these sermons, sharing them out with others or inviting others to join them, and may through the power of these merits, if any of them have been born in the woeful plane, redeem themselves and be born in the blissful plane, may through the power of these merits they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path, and attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. Let us also transfer merits that we have acquired to our devotees, friends of the monastery, who for the sake of merits continue to sustain the Mahasangha. This includes everyone from those of you who have contributed to the construction of the monastery and to those of you who provide the Mahasangha with shelter, arms, robes and medicines, as well as those of you who have passed on their know-how and continue to extend their well wishes. May to the power of these merits, they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path and attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. Let us also take a moment to transfer merits to our mothers and fathers, husbands and wives, brothers and sisters, sons and daughters, grandparents, uncles, aunts, cousins, nephews and nieces, our elders, friends and acquaintances, employers and employees, and to all those who have helped us, supported us, assisted us in any way, shape or form. And by the power of these merits, may they be healed of any physical and mental ailments and overcome any obstacles to their spiritual progress. May they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path and attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. Let us also take a moment to transmit to the devas and brahmas, spirits and demons, primarily the Sakka Deva as, all, as well as all the other numerous gods and deities, who are committed to protect and fulfill the Sambhu Shasana. Let us also transmit to our guardian deities who keep a watchful eye over us and keep us out of harm's way. And may to the power of these merits, their prospering divine power and wisdom, may they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path and attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. Let us also take a moment to transfer merits to our ancestors who have predeceased us, to all who have been our families, friends and acquaintances in this infinitely long journey in Sansara, and those who have helped and supported us, assisted us in every way they could. Let us also transfer these merits to the members of the armed forces as well as the police force who have sacrificed their lives to protect the peace and harmony of our nations, and may all who have lost their lives in the war be their friend or foe, rejoice in the merits that we have acquired today. Let us also transfer merits to all those who have lost their lives in the natural calamities such as the tsunamis and earthquakes, landslides and pandemics, including the most recent and prevailing one, reminding ourselves that among them will be those who have been our friends and family to us in this long journey in Sansara. Let us take a moment to transfer these merits to them, and may to the power of these merits, if any of them have been born in the woeful plains, redeem themselves and be born in the blissful plain. May they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the no fulfill the noble eightfold path and attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. Finally, let us all resolve that may through the power and blessings of all the merits we have acquired throughout the day, we be able to witness the advent of many hundreds of thousands of Arahants on this blessed land and may by the power of all the merits we have acquired today, you and I and everyone who's helped make this program a success, become an Arahant Nuhanse and Arahat Nehenin Nuhanse in this very life and in the era of the Gautama Supreme Buddha itself. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. And on that note, we will conclude today's talk. May the blessings of the Noble Triple Gem be with you all.